0: All right, everybody, open up your Bibles. If you've got a Bible handy, open it up to Luke chapter 24. We're going to pick up from where we left off last week with the resurrection narrative. And we had a great Easter last Sunday, though the room was empty here. We had over 1,800 people joining us online. And so shout out to our tech crew. Thanks to Kyle and Ben and everyone who, helped, who helps week in and week out make that all possible. We had folks joining us from over 20 states and three different countries One of them, Bosnia, Petula and her crew there. And then we had someone from the Ukraine and someone from Great Britain. And that's just who's joining us live. And then there are folks like the Kellers in Sicily who I think watch at at a later time due to the time distance. But hey, it was just a great Easter weekend. And uh, thanks for everyone who tuned in and invited others. And maybe you're joining us this morning as kind of a next step from your uh, Easter tuning in. And so what I want us to do is kind of keep our feet with where were the early disciples on the hours and days following Jesus' resurrection? And specifically this morning, I want to talk to you about the land of what I'm going to call today holy uncertainty, where we get fluent in the language of, I don't know, and that's okay. So, Does anybody remember what these were like? Hey, dads out there, shout out to dads. Do you guys remember when you used to go on road trips? Do you remember when you used to like load up the family and like get in the car and go somewhere that wasn't like Meijer or Walmart? Do you remember you used to like go on a road trip? And back, so students, this is what we did before like GPS, uh, before Siri, before Google Maps. This is what we did. This is like an atlas of each of the states in the country. And then when you were going on a road trip, you just found out which state you were going to and you kind of navigated your course. And if you were a AAA member, AAA members, do you remember you used to get a trip tick, and they used to print off pages like from point A to B and it would show you like all your, your maps. Well, back in 2017 during our sabbatical, we took a, what we called the Great Western Exploration. A 21-day driving trip, we flew into Denver, and we went 21 days from Denver, we went all the way out to California, down the West Coast, down to the Grand Canyon, looped back up, and flew back out of Denver 21 days later. Now, it was an amazing trip, great trip, but the commentary, I think, from all of us was it felt maybe about seven days too long and about 2,000 miles, <laughs> kind of too lengthy, you know what I mean? But, but it was a great trip. So in one of the, one of the stops we had, we were at Yellowstone. And it was going to be the, the leg from Yellowstone, and our net. it was like our longest driving day. We were going to the Redwood Forest of Northern California. If any of you visited there, it was the highlight for me for sure. I felt like I was walking in a scene from Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia. It was crazy. But we had to get from Yellowstone to the Redwood Forest in Northern California. And my notes through kind of some of this research here and then a little bit of online stuff, I was like, it looked like it was going to be a 12-ish hour driving day. So I went down to the lodge where we were staying at Yellowstone the day before we were going to leave and just kind of wanted to get our route down. And I punched it in, I punched it in the phone and I kind of hit it there with Google Maps and it popped up and it said, your destination, 17 hours and 24 minutes. I'm like, no, no, that can't be right. Now, now, we gotta we gotta enter that again. So I entered all. I had to miss the address or something. You know, I put it all in again. Boom, hit 17 hours, 24 minutes. Anybody feeling the weight of this at the moment? So here I am sitting in this lodge. My whole family's just enjoying themselves in the room. I thought, okay, I'm gonna go up and deliver the news. So I get back to the room. I say, hey, okay, gang, here's a rat. We are without stops. 17 and a half hours from our next destination. And their response was just like this room right now, dead silence. (laughs) They just looked at me like, are you sure, dad? (laughs) Like, yeah, I'm sure. I had plotted it to be 12 and it ended up 17 and a half, which by the way, that's a sermon for a whole nother day. All the times in life when you thought you were on a 12 hour journey ended up being a 17 and a half hour one topic for another day. So, we get, we get loaded up, we kind of have to adjust what we're going to do, but the next day we're off and rolling, and Kaylin is messing with my uh, Google Maps settings and stuff, and she's looking at our route, and, and she notices in the search history that I had put in, instead of the destination being in California, it was actually in Canada, So like the CACN, whatever, I messed up on that. So our best recollection was I had plotted out our trip on the way to the Redwood Forest as we were going to go 12 hours north into Canada. That was the same city name in Canada as we were staying in California. How crazy is that? This was not one of dad's best map moments. And maybe this is why The longer you walk with God, the more you understand, like, God's really not into maps. You remember when the Israelites were leaving Egypt and they were going 400 miles north into the promised land and they weren't quite sure the route to get there? God didn't give them a map. Instead, what did He give them? Pillar of fire by night, pillar of cloud by day. It was the promise I will be with you. That when the pillar moves, you move. When the pillar stays, you stay. When the pillar turns right, you turn right. When the pillar turns left, you turn left. I will be with you. That was the promise. And the principle is this. When you've got a guide like that, you don't need a map like this. In other words, you put down your maps when you've got a guide. And that's where the disciples are this morning. Following the resurrection of Jesus The setting in Luke 24 is this. There's a disciple named Cleopas who's walking on the road to Emmaus. It's a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they're walking, and they're talking, and they're discussing everything that had just happened. Their entire world had been rocked, had been thrown into uncertainty, had been thrown into chaos, had been flipped on its lid. They had just, they couldn't process everything that was coming at them in the last seven days. That's the setting for the Emmaus road. So, look in your Bibles here. We're going to pick it up and start reading in verse 13. It says, now that same day. So, you want to underline your Bible, same day. What day is that? That's the day Jesus rose, the same day that Mary and Peter were at the tomb, and when they get to the tomb, they see the stone rolled away, they see the grave clothes folded up, and they see footprints have gone out of the tomb. That day, that day when they run back to the disciples, and they're like reporting everything, like they couldn't finish their sentence fast enough, that Jesus was there, and now He's not, and He said He was going to rise, and He's risen. There, that day, that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Verse 14, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As it, so this is what everything that had just happened. So the backstory there, right, would have been like everything that had happened from Palm Sunday through resurrection sunday they they talked about the triumphal entry and how they thought jesus when he entered what it was going to happen there and they talked about him flipping over the tables in the in the temple courts and money changer monday and they talked about judas and his betrayal on spy wednesday and then they probably also discussed how judas Committed suicide a little bit later in the week, and then they continued their discussion. They talked about, man, you remember when Jesus washed our feet on Thursday, and then there was the brutal bloodshed of Friday and the crucifixion, then there was the silence of Saturday. They were talking about all that had happened. And while they're walking, while they're discussing, while they're wrestling through all these questions that just didn't have a lot of answers yet. Well, you've been in that place in life where you just seem to be like one question after another, after another, and not a lot of answers coming. Well, that's where Cleopas and this disciple are. And then the text says in verse 15 and 16, it says, Jesus joins them on the road. How how amazing. It says, Jesus joins them on their walk, but they're kept from recognizing him. Think about all the times in our life When maybe we're so caught up in our own circumstances that Jesus joins us along the way, but we just can't, we can't see him. We can't recognize him. And I was thinking about that this week. I think, I wonder all the ways Jesus is joining us right now, but whether it's the news cycle or whether it's the latest wave of whatever coming at us, whether it's the upheaval and the insert, whatever that we just can't see how he's joined us. So, Jesus joins these two guys. We're not told how they're kept from seeing him, but now stay with me. Verse 17, Jesus jumps into the conversation. How cool is this? He asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? I love that. (laughs) Love this. They stood still, their faces downcast. That tells you the emotional state. You see, they had kind of put all their eggs in this Jesus basket. They had left everything to follow him. All their hopes and dreams were there. And the way it unfolded just, it didn't go like anything like they envisioned it going. And so they were really emotionally struggled, kind of mental and emotional distress. That's part of what you have here. And then one of them named Cleopas, verse 18, ask him, are you, the, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? It'd be kind of like, it's like Cleopas saying to Jesus, like, it'd be like today, someone rolling up to you and go, hey, what's up with the coronavirus? I heard a little bit about, what's the big deal? It'd be like that level. Like, I mean, have you not been breathing? Have you not been alive? It's like they're telling Jesus, have you not heard of everything that just happened? And I love how Jesus plays along with this. Look at this. The Bible's amazing. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, what things? Jesus has a great sense of humor. I think he's chuckling on the inside. He's just playing along with them. They don't know it's him. They're like, hey, what things? What things is everybody talking about? And then in unison, look what they say, about Jesus of Nazareth. (laughs) Do you remember like those times in life when you said to your parents, like I was thinking about when my mom and dad would respond in unison, something like, you know, I'd say, hey, mom, dad, like what do I need to be doing right now? And mom and dad in unison would say, homework, you know, like that, or they'd say, like, chores, or, you know, it's like right here, like, Cleopas and the disciple are like, huh, it's Jesus, like, everybody's talking about Jesus, and so there's Jesus uh, standing with them, and then they go on, I love this, how they go on to tell Jesus about Jesus, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, what was Jesus' facial reaction, what was his nonverbal like, hmm, right, good church, hmm, hmm, Powerful word indeed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. Can you see his face? Like, oh boy, that's a... And they crucified him. Here's the key phrase, verse 21, underline these four words. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. So there's that phrase in verse 21, but we had hoped. Cleopas and the disciple. you know, we had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the anointed one. We had hoped he was coming into Jerusalem and finally going to put the Romans in their place and restore the Jews back to power. We had hoped that finally all the injustice and the oppression of the day was going to get dealt with. We had hoped All this stuff. We did not hope. We did not think that Jesus was going to go to a cross, bloody crucifixion, sealed in a tomb. We wouldn't think the Roman leaders would be strutting around today. We had hoped all these things. And it just wasn't unfolding like they thought it was going to unfold. We had hoped. We had hoped. And church, could it not be? I was thinking that could be like an appropriate subtitle for the spring of 2020. Could we not say as we entered into this year, we had hoped? But we had hoped uh, the spring semester students would, or graduates, we had hoped the graduation preparations would be, or we had hoped our job situation, we had hoped our financial stability, uh, we had hoped our our mission trips and our ministry plans, uh, we had hoped, finish the sentence, We had hoped that God would heal that loved one, that God would restore that marriage, that God would give us that child, that we had hoped that God would provide in ways financially. We had hoped that God would have brought some certainty and clarity about whatever it is we're wrestling through. We had hoped. You know, you don't have to live much life to find yourself on this seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And on this walk, here's what I think we learn. On this walk, I think we learn to set our maps down. I think God says, you know what? How many of us in 2020 had all kinds of things mapped out? Here's the muscles we're working right now. Hey, set aside your map. And what? And lean in, lean into your guide. Because when you have a guide like this, you don't need a map like that. And Cleopas and the disciples, they, they just, they couldn't see it. They, they couldn't recognize. They had all this hope in their, their maps, their plans, their, they thought they had it all figured out. They thought they saw where the story was unfolding, but we had hoped. And we set aside our maps and we lean into our guide. And I don't know about you, but the last five weeks in my life, thank you for the many of you who've been reaching out and asking, "Hey, Pastor Erky, how are you doing? What can we do to help you?" You guys have been tremendous as a congregation, just super helpful posture of serving. I often think um, when times are tough, people become more of who they really are, and the demonstration of your servanthood and sacrifice and generosity—it's just, it's just tremendous. So, thank you for all the ways that you're reaching out like you are, Um, your characters on full display. And and I've responded to several of you, either phone chats or over text or email, that I've just been, this is like the busiest five weeks of my pastoral ministry than I can recall ever having in 26 years. Like in mid-March, when all this wave of like, you know, we're going to shut down and social distance and everybody's going to work from home, I had like envisioned, you know, I've got this like monastic side inside of me. I had envisioned like a monastery retreat like thing was going to happen. I thought I'm going to order this stack of books and I'm going to sit outside and I'm going to sip my iced tea and read my books and have my hood up like a monk. I just, you know, and then I forgot I lived in Indiana and it still snows like this week, right? And I just, I haven't been able to keep up. It's just, I'm sure like many of you in different leadership positions, you've just been thrust into kind of one wave of decision and circumstance after another that's just requiring more out of your leadership and your decision-making than, than ever. And I get to the end of a day and I think, well, I think tomorrow's going to be a little more normal. And, and each day, it's just something new, something different. And I've just found myself so mentally and emotionally exhausted. Is anybody else there? I mean, I think it's probably the cumulative effect of, of living in the space we're living and then combined in any leadership capacities that many of you are in, just the decision fatigue that comes or just the weight of things. Or... And I just, I've just been tired mentally, emotionally. I get to the end of the day and I just want to zone out on Netflix and just like escape for a couple of hours and something. Anybody else? And I'm learning... As I listen to myself talk through the day, I've kind of either in email response, text response, or verbally, I've noticed I'm repeating a phrase a lot. The phrase is this, I don't know. I don't know. When do you think we're all going to be able to get back together and worship as a large group again? Uh, I don't know. When we do, what do you think it's going to be like? Like, is, is ministry ever going to be like it was before all this COVID 19 stuff? Uh, I don't know. Well, what about financially? Like, how's the church going to come through all this financially and all the projections and all that? And what do you think all that's going to shake out to be? Uh, I don't know. What do you think we're going to lose a bunch of families because we haven't been together for so long? Well, I hope not, but I, I don't know. Or, or maybe you think like there's going to be some like holy crazy God stuff that some really cool things happened as we were dispersed and apart for so long. Like, do you think like some really amazing things we're going to hear about later on? I hope so, but but I, I don't know. Well, what about this like next phase we're moving into? Like, how are we going to like phase in worship? Like, how's that going to work with like students and children and adults? What's what's all that going to look like? I don't know. Do you you think we're ever going to be able to like high-five, handshake, and hug again like ever? Like ever? I, I don't know. I'm attaching a label to this kind of experience on the Emmaus Road. I think the Emmaus Road could be labeled the walk of holy uncertainty. It's the place where you set up camp and you become fluent in the language of, I don't know. And that's okay. I don't know. And that's okay. That you just lean into this space and you rest in this. You are a human and you are finite, and you've been given a certain capacity to try to figure out the circumstances before you, and right now, across our world, the brightest people with all the letters and PhDs all around their name, all are collectively becoming fluent in this. I don't know. And that's okay. Church, do you see how this trains us to lay this down and to lean into our guide? We relinquish our maps and we lean into our Do you see that? It's this space of holy uncertainty. It's it's the 7-mile trek from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's the place where you're open and honest about but we had hoped places in our hearts. And so I want to leave you this morning with three things I'm learning on this walk. Though I'm certainly not all seven miles in, just like all of us, right? We're all on this walk together, and however many miles into this we are, I just I wrote in your notes uh, three things that I'm learning, and I offer them to you. Maybe they'll be helpful on your journey as well. Here's the first thing I wrote down that I'm learning. Number one, that God is sovereign; He's in control, and His purposes will prevail. Can I get an amen from that, church? God is sovereign. That's a Bible word for He's in control, and His purposes will prevail. I put in your notes a Dallas Willard quote that I found my mind coming back to often during these days. Under the reign and rule of God, this world is a perfectly safe place to be. Isn't that great? If you're a follower of Jesus, you live in the kingdom of a good, good Father who we know His character has our best in mind. That's sovereign and reigning and ruling and has all power and authority. He's gonna work out his purposes even when we can't figure out what he's doing and where this is going. That here's what we can rest in. This world, under Jesus' reign and rule, is a perfectly safe place to be. It doesn't mean we're exempt from the hardship. It doesn't mean we don't have to go through some stuff. It just means we rest in this. God's in control and he's gonna work out his purposes. I'm not at all suggesting that he's the cause of COVID-19, but I am suggesting this, that God, by being sovereign, can use a pandemic like this to move his purposes forward in this world. I don't think it's a coincidence, church, that last Sunday, Easter Sunday, aligned with the pandemic the way it aligned in such a way that many of the church leaders around the world are saying, I don't think it's an overstatement, that perhaps Last Sunday, Easter Sunday 2020, more people on the globe heard the gospel than any other day in human history. Think about that. Because of technology, because of the way the pandemic has shut most people in, because of the volume of people who were tuning in, because of how it went out into the airwaves. Can you think about that? That could it be on Easter Sunday, one of God's sovereign purposes is to use a global pandemic... To draw hearts to himself and to move his purposes forward. Maybe that's some of your story watching now. Some of you may be watching simply because of everything in our culture that's stirred up. And I want you to think about God reigning and ruling in the midst of holy uncertainty. I don't know, but that's okay. Because I do know who knows. It's not just a relinquishment into, well, just whatever happens. No, it's this. I, I don't know when that's okay because I know there's a good, good father who reigns and rules and is going to carry out his purposes even when, for the most part, I have no idea what's going on and how this is going to unfold. So, this has been, that's been helpful to me is to rest in Isaiah 55. His ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Isaiah 55 says "The heavens are higher than the earth. His ways are higher than our ways. Last time I checked the math, that was 15.5 billion light years. That's how far his ways are higher than my ways. And his thoughts than my thoughts. So it's okay for me to say, I don't know and that's okay because I rest in this. That he's under no obligation to bring any of us into the inner chamber of what he's doing. That he's going to work it out. Which brings me to my kind of second Anchor point on my Emmaus Road Walk. I've been kind of holding on to this. Hold my plans loosely and receive his peace. So I've been learning about how you just kind of relinquish your plans. You, you, you work hard, you plan, you prepare, you you look ahead, you do your best, and then you relinquish, you loosen the grip, you surrender control, and you say, and you offer it up to God. And you say, Lord, here's my maps, and I trust you as a guide. And church, even when the guide is maybe taking you towards Canada and you thought you were headed to California, there's a lot of that going on. We all thought our lives were going a certain way this year and we kind of had it all GPS mapped out. He said, you know what? We want to set those maps aside and now where's the guide taking us? And here's what we can rest in, right? Do you see the, the posture of being able to like receive his peace? It's not that we don't plan. It's not that we don't work hard. It's that we do our best to lead. But at the end of the day, we loosen the grip and we just say, Lord, it's in your hands. We're getting a PhD and we're not nearly as in control as we think we are. We try to live like we're sovereign in the spring of 2020. It's crystal clear on this globe. Mankind is not sovereign. We are not in control. It just took one virus inserted in to the human population to bring the institutions of man literally to their knees and their limitations. So, it's helping me. Hold plans loosely. Receive His peace. And then thirdly, to find that place of quiet rest in the midst of the unknown. Here's what I wrote in my notes. Certainty is an attempt at control. Anybody else feel that? I'm a one on the Enneagram, so this whole thing works completely against the grain of how ones are wired. Ones tend to be like they really appreciate clarity and control and certainty, and this is the exact opposite of all of that. So if anyone else is in the one world, you're especially probably experiencing the kind of the exhaustion and weariness of just running against the grain of how you've kind of been pre-wired in here. Certainty is an attempt at control. We think if we can predict the future, then we have some degree of control over it, which will allow us to feel safe and not so afraid. Did you follow that? So certainty is this attempt at control, where you think if you can kind of like predict the future that you have some measure of like control over it to give you increased safety and not be so afraid, and it's all an illusion. That's a, it's all an illusion. So here's what we have to do. We have to find the place of quiet rest in the midst of the unknown. We have to find the place of Psalm Psalm 27. The end of Psalm 27 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Or like Ian led us uh, Wednesday night through Lamentations 3, sit quietly before the Lord. It's that, it's that space where we trust that the soil of this holy uncertainty that we've all been thrust into, here's what we trust, that it's fertile ground for the roots of our faith to grow and deepen and develop. So, Eagle family, here we are, April 19, 2020. I think we're a few miles in to the Emmaus Road Walk, and I want to invite you on the journey. Let's just keep putting one foot in front of the other, and let's begin to embrace in calling the walk kind of the land of holy uncertainty. That's what we're navigating through. We're becoming increasingly fluent in in this. I don't know. And that's okay. Work those muscles all this week. I don't know. And that's okay. And open up those, but we had hoped, places in our hearts. All those places where we had hoped things were going to unfold or we had hoped Jesus was going to come through this way. And you're like Cleopas. You're like that disciple. And open up those unmet expectations. Be honest about them. Open up to them. And then at the end of the day, on this walk, here's what we're going to do. We're going to keep working the muscles of this. We're going to set down our maps. We're going to relinquish the map. And we're going to lift up our eyes and put them squarely on our resurrected guide. Jesus is with us. His promise is, I will be with you. And I promise as we stay close to our guide, We'll get from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And when we get there, I suspect we'll point to the kinds of things that were built inside of us on the journey. Because it's not just Jesus getting us from point A to B. It wasn't just getting the Simpson family from central Colorado to the west coast. It was who we were going to become along the way. Relinquish the map trust the resurrected guide. He is with us. I close with a prayer from Thomas Merton. It is in your notes there. I put it in your notes because I think it might be one you'll want to reflect on this week. Merton was a monk who lived down in the Abbey of Gethsemane for several years, a monastery in Kentucky. And I think it was his book, Thoughts in Solitude. He said this, "'My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going.'" I do not see the road ahead of me. Anybody else feel that? I read the opening line of the prayer. I go, yep, that's it, Lord. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. And I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. Well, how about that line? But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing, and I hope that I'll never do anything apart from that desire, and I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may, not know, I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much that your promise is you would be with us. The resurrected Christ, you're alive and well today. And because you're alive, that pillar of cloud and pillar of fire that would external, now by the Holy Spirit, you live within us. You are with us. And you're inviting us on this journey and you're working with us in this space of holy uncertainty. You're training us in this language of, I don't know and that's okay. And we just open up now the but we had hoped places in our hearts, some listening right now just dealing with tremendous disappointment and just waves of discouragement. We just open that up to you. And would you open up our eyes now? Would you give us a week this week where we're able to see how you're joining us on this road in unexpected ways? Would you just help us to see that you're with us in this space? Would you come to us in ways where um, our eyes are just open when Paul prayed in Ephesians 1 that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened? Would you do that this week for us? Would you give us strength, encouragement, perseverance, endurance? And at the end of the day, we trust you. You're our guide. Lead us on, O King Eternal. We will follow. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.